0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Sin is a dirty, disruptive, chaotic, and destructive fact of life. We cannot look anywhere without seeing it. It impacts every area of, our, of life. It reveals itself in our daily decision making, it reveals itself in the athletic realm. The political realm, the entertainment realm, through movies, enter, uh, music, and TV. Sin reveals itself through the treatment of others at home, in the workplace. Sin is unavoidable. Sin is deceptive and tricky. Sin is living in opposition to God. Sin is that which is not of faith. You say, wow, we live in a horrible world. We do. It's always been horrible. We do, and the punishment for it is what? It's eternal separation from God. It is this sin that causes us to drift from God. We find our hearts becoming hard, apathetic, and complacent. We find ourselves trying to cover it up or just simply trying to justify it. We try to get rid of it by blaming it on others or trying to come up with some way of minimizing it and saying it's really not that bad. But by God's grace, truly by His grace, we can praise God that we, there is a way where we can deal with sin in our life. Sin doesn't have to dominate our lives as believers. As we have sung this morning about His robes for mine, see, God through His Son, Jesus Christ, provided deliverance. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself on the cross for you and for me, for men, women, and children everywhere throughout history have had the ability, the opportunity to be saved from the condemnation necessary because of God's wrath towards sin. It requires faith in Christ's death and resurrection along with a repentance of one's sin, calling on God for salvation. It is then and only then as a justified and redeemed believer and adopted child of God can you say no to the heinousness of sin. It is the Holy Spirit that now resides in you that gives you the power to not consent to the sinful temptations presented before you each and every day. A few weeks ago now when I, I had the opportunity to preach, I preached from Jeremiah 2. was a pretty negative message, in a sense, all about sin and the sin of Israel and how that relates to us. See, today we're going to look at how we can have a right relationship with God, even amid the sin that we struggle with on a daily basis. The title of the message this morning is that it's a broken heart, God's desire for the Christian. See, God's grace is greater than our sin. When we fall in sin before God, God's grace is there to enable us and deliver us. We need to call on God in prayer and confess our sins to him. In our text this morning, we're going to look at a psalm that was written by a man, a believer, that had fallen into multiple sins. Sins that, if were done today, would require church discipline in a big way. We would look at this person and, and say, wow, this is a wicked man. But yet the Bible calls us man a man after God's own heart. And so we're going to see from the life of David, because really the, in order to understand our, our, the, our message, the, the text today, we need to understand the background of why David is writing Psalm 51. And the background is found in, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. If you want to turn there, I'm not going to read that, the large passage. But if you want to turn there, while I'm, I'm giving a little bit of a background on this, feel free to and just follow along. But in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, many of us will remember this story of David, who for whatever reason chose not to go into battle. And he stayed home. And one day he, he woke up and it was morning or it was during the day or whatever and he walked up onto his rooftop. And as he was up there, he sees across and he sees at another home a woman bathing. And instead of doing the right thing and walking back down, he continued to observe her and lust after her. And it didn't just stop there. David continued in his sin, and he calls for some messengers to go and bring and, and and send for Bathsheba, and brings Bathsheba into his home, and commits adultery with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. A While longer, he finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant. And now he's like, oh, I, I've, I've committed this, this sin. And he still hasn't made it right with God, clearly. And in, as he's living in his sin, he realizes he's got to come up with a plan to cover up that sin. And so David comes up with this, to him, in his mind, probably a full proof, full proof plan. So he sends for Uriah. He was out on the battlefield, and he has Uriah come home. And he figures that when Uriah comes home, he'll spend a couple days with his wife, and that will help cover everything up. What happens? Uriah comes home, and he tells David, he says, King, How can I go and enjoy the pleasure of being at home with my wife and and, and when my comrades in arms, and the Bible doesn't use that term, but comrades in arms, his fellow soldiers, are out in the battlefield sleeping on the ground and how could I do these things? And so he doesn't. So now David has to go to plan another plan. And what does David do? He doesn't go to the Lord and confess his sin. Here's an amazing opportunity for David right here, right now, to come straight with his sin. Come, come forward to Uriah and admit to Uriah the sin that he committed against Bathsheba and against Uriah and ultimately against God. But rather than that, King David, a man after God's own heart, living in his sin, writes an order to send to Joab, the captain of the army. And not only does he write in this message to put Uriah at the most compromised part of the battle, he sends it with Uriah himself. I don't know about you, but that's pretty hard. It's pretty cold. Uriah takes it. Joab puts him... In that area of the battle, Uriah dies. At the beginning of chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, we see the prophet Nathan coming to David. And he tells David this story about this man who had a traveler coming, across, coming to his home. And he goes over to this other home of this man. who, They were poor. And they had one sheep. It was a healthy sheep. It was a fairly large sheep. But it wasn't. Like the, this, other, this rich man's flock, it was like a pet to this family. It would be like it was a sheep that, that lived in the house with them. It was a, just that pet. They loved this animal. And what does this rich man do? He goes and takes that man's sheep and kills that sheep so that he and his traveler, his, his, his visitor, can have this wonderful meal. And as Nathan is finishing up this story, David becomes irate and pronounces judgment on that man that he needs to be found and he needs to be killed. The punishment for what he did is death. And if you've ever read this narrative, the next part just, I can only imagine. As God uses Nathan to literally use... God's word, though it wasn't canonized like we have today, like a sharp sword, right into the soul of David. And Nathan looks at him and says, You are the man. Have you ever had that moment in your life where the Spirit of God has said, You are the man, you're the woman, you're the one who's doing that sin? It is this backdrop that we see Psalm 51. It is this backdrop that we see it. See, David, really in that passage of Scripture, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we see character traits of David that actually we see in our own lives. And why we see it's so important to understand that we need to have a broken heart say, well, how do I know if I need a broken heart? Well, if we were to look through the text, I'm not going to go verse by verse through that, the passage, but one thing we see in David is that he ignored the commands of Scripture. Nathan, in verse 9 of 2 Samuel 12, says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? David knew the law of the Lord. David knew what God had said and commanded. And yet, what did he do? He despised it and went against it. In blatant rebellion. Is that you this morning? Is there an area in your life where you're just blatantly sinning? You're, You're despising, you're ignoring the word of God, the commands of Scripture? See, we need a broken heart. Also, David, sometimes you know, we use people to get what we want and lust for. When there's something that we're lusting after, a simple word of lust just simply means desiring. A strong desire. And unfortunately, in our, with our sin, oftentimes we so strongly desire it, but we try to come up with some way, and so we try to get someone else to go and, and accomplish what we want. He sent messengers, literally. He went, he needed, and he went out of his way to make the sin that he wanted and he was lusting after happen. Is that you this morning? You finding yourself going out of your way to fulfill your sinful desires? Maybe the sin that you're struggling with, maybe the sin in your life, or things that maybe this is something that's happened in your life where. You know, have you ever been hard on others and easy on yourself? you judging others. I mean, look at what David did. He, he needs to be killed. Talk about hypocritical. At this point, David's being very hypocritical in this passage. He ranted about the man who took the poor man's sheep when in reality he did the exact same thing. We need a broken heart. He was consumed with what he did not have versus what he did have. He literally went after something he did not believe in God's going to see. God is giving you what you have. That is what God has done for you. He is good all the time. Stop going after things that He hasn't given you. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And so often we want something we don't have and we go after it and after it and after it. When I was in college, I really wanted to make the men's basketball team. And this is a very trivial type thing, but it was big to me as a sophomore and junior in college. And I wanted it bad. I remember my junior year when I got cut I literally walked out of the gym doors and I actually slapped the the push bar. I was so ticked. I was actually kind of grumpy the next half hour to an hour. And then the Spirit of the Lord came and, not audibly, don't worry, but he came and said to me, get a grip. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's about what I want. It's about what I have planned for your life. And being on the Maranatha Baptist University basketball team was not his plan for my life. In many ways, I wonder, you know, as you look back, if I would have responded wrongly and continued to go on and keep trying after it and trying after it, I may have never met my best friend. Because I would have been on the basketball team and not working in the event staff. Maybe you had never been an assistant, the athletic director. just humanly speaking, but I sinned against that. I wasn't I was going after something I kept wanting it in my heart, so bad. We need to be content with what God has given us, because God is always good. And if you find yourself just always consumed with wanting something that God hasn't given you, you need a heart that is broken. You need your heart broken. What about callous to the obvious warning of your own sin? Oh, we don't like that. We don't like people telling us that we're sinners. In 2 Samuel 11, the, one of the messengers that David was sending to go get Bathsheba, what does he say? He says, the servant actually says to David, isn't this Uriah's wife? Hello? Hello? That's God giving David a way out before he continues to spiral. See, God in his grace gives us warnings. Don't do that. Don't go there. We see his duplicity and his hypocrisy. We see his, the sin is that was more important. He also didn't realize that his look at it in this way that sin impacts others is now without a husband. She loses her firstborn child. And we know through David's life what happens the rest of the way. I mean, he doesn't have a real great family life. There's consequences to sin. And our sin doesn't just affect us, it impacts others as well. So we need to ask ourselves this morning this question, what does God want from us when we sin? What does God want from you when you sin? What does God want from me when I sin? See, our main truth this morning is that living righteously requires a heart of spiritual brokenness. If you and I are going to live a righteous life, we need to have a heart that is spiritually broken. See, spiritual brokenness Manifest through confession before God. Verses 1 through 7. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned. <clears throat> And done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak. And blameless when you judge. Behold I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin my mother conceived me. Behold you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. See David cries out to God for spiritual excuse me. I don't know what, it doesn't look like pastors used it, so. Sorry about that. But David cries out to God for spiritual cleansing. David uses colorful and strong words to cry out to God in confession and ask him to cleanse him. I don't know about you, but when I read this psalm, and every time I've read this psalm, I can just hear the heart of David. I don't think it was one of these, well, God, be gracious to me, please. I think there were tears. I think there was a great sorrow because he had just failed his God. See, spiritual brokenness manifests through confession before God. The word confession simply means to agree with God or to agree. See, David begins by calling out for God's grace in his life. Be gracious to me, O God. We don't deserve God's grace. David is here calling out, be gracious to me. In the basis of his grace, he's asking, "Be gracious to me according to what your loving kindness." That word is as said in the Hebrew. It's that idea of loyal love, the idea of loyalty. See, it was according to the greatness of God's mercy that David was crying out for his sin to be forgiven. He wanted his sin to be cleansed and annihilated. Is your heart broken when you sin? Do you really realize what that is to God? It is an affront. It is an opposition to God that you have just acted in direct opposition to the one true God who created you, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. David continues in verse 2 and says wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David here is expressing how he now saw his sin. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. This idea here what he's talking about here is this idea of utter filth. Just completely dirty. Soiled. You no. Know, My kids love to play outside. Remember when we were up at Kobiak. Chloe came and we told her she'd just go play out in the ball field. She was kind of shocked that we said she'd go play by herself. I did it when I was a kid. You'll be fine. And she built some type of obstacle course on the ball field or whatever. And about an hour and a half later, she comes running back. I mean, there is dirt all over her face. It just all over her clothes, all over her legs, her hands. I was like, Chloe, you have been having fun? Yeah. I use that as this, everything was dirty. You think we let her go to bed in that? No. Why? Because it's dirty, it's filthy. You know, sometimes I think we're like that as Christians, though. We sin. And we don't take care of it. We just keep wearing that dirty clothes. Oh, I'll just turn the shirt inside out. It'll be okay. I'll hide it. Eh, Pants, they're not, you know, give them, air them out. Okay, they don't smell too bad. I'll I'll keep wearing them. But we do that in our spiritual lives. And David here is broken over his sin. And he's saying he's crying out to God. And he's saying, "Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities. Cleanse me from my sin." In college, you have you get a lot of good illustrations from college. I was a dorm leadership, and dorm leadership, and we would help check rooms, which. We would have room duties and, and things like that, and if the room wasn't clean like it should be, you would get demerits. It was a way of, I guess, teaching us discipline. I don't think some, by the time they graduated, ever learned it. But all of us dorm leadership, there's five of us, plus the dorm supervisor, would periodically do it all together, just so that we are all on the same page and consistent. And we walked up to a, a door, and the dorm soup was standing there, and... And he goes to open the door, but before he even opens the door, he looks at one of us and says, can you please write down 15 demerits on a slip and slap it on the door? We're going to the next room. It was so smelly. It was so bad. We didn't even have to open the door. It was nasty. Are you living your Christian life that way? Do you just stink spiritually? See, David continues on. In Psalm 51, 3-5, we see him continue. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. What do we see? He He vindicates God. You know what? Sometimes I find we find ourselves doing as Christians, we blame God. We blame God. But what does David do here? He doesn't blame God for anything. He says, God, my sin, I, I realize what I did. It's right here. I, I, I acted in opposition to you. I acted heinously. I acted in wickedness. I've done evil in your sight. He, does, he goes so much deeper than, than Uriah or Bathsheba. He goes to the very person, ultimately, that he sinned before, and that is God himself. See, sometimes I think we rationalize our sin as just a, on, a, on a horizontal level. Because when we really are honest with ourselves and we admit that our sin is not just on a horizontal level, it's ultimately a vertical in the sense that it's a sin against God. See, if we're to live with a broken heart over our sin, we must agree with God about our sin and its heinousness. David understood that at the very core of who he was, he sinned against God. He admitted to God that he sinned. That's why we encourage our, our girls when they do sin, that when they pray and ask God for forgiveness, that they are specific with the sin. Not just, dear Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Amen. David here is specific. He's saying, my sin is ever before me. It's right here, Lord. See, David did not need hours of systematic teaching to understand this truth. He knew it and knew God was holy. He knew that his sin was in opposition to God. As God desires truth and desires us to live wisely, David lived foolishly. Look at verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. He understood See, for the believer today, our cleansing takes place through Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. Are you willing to agree with God about your sin? Are you seeing your sin as God sees it? We need to stop living dirty and stinky spiritually. See, spiritual brokenness manifests through confession before God. Are you willing to get on your knees before God and just say, God, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I have lied. I have cheated. And you can put and fill in the blank. Not only that, but spiritual brokenness manifests through restoration by God. David, here's where we see the positives start to take place. So David cries out to God in confession, admitting his sin, wanting to be clean, wanting to be holy, wanting to be pure. And David, as he's crying out to God in agreement about his sin, is then request a spiritual cleansing from him. David wanted to once again have the joy that came from having a right relationship with God. Do you want a right relationship with God? You want true joy in your life? Is joy missing in your life? One of the first questions you need to ask yourself is Is there sin in your life? Is there sin in your life? No matter how big or small we make it in our minds, any type of little bit of sin is going to steal your joy. It's going to hinder your relationship with God. See, sin brings emotional and sometimes physical anguish. David did not want any of that anymore. He didn't want that oppression on his life. And we see in Psalm 51 verse 10, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He didn't want to be in a person who is vacillating, who was able to be blown around and moving around with how he lived. He wanted to have a clean heart. He wanted to have a heart that was right with God. And he wanted to have a spirit that was steadfast in the Lord. He said, do not cast me away from your presence. He understood that his sin hindered his relationship with God, his his ability to fellowship with God. You say, "Well, God's just not listening. Well, maybe there's sin in your life this morning. Maybe there's sin in your life this morning, and you need to be broken over that sin. See, David wanted to live a life that was sure and in living pure before God. Christian, do you truly desire a close relationship with God? Is your level of confession to only make you feel better rather than truly wanting a deepening relationship with God? Are you just praying and asking God to forgive you just to try to remove the guilt of that sin? Or are you truly desiring a relationship with God? See, God is He's praying for restoration. Saying, restore, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. That idea of a willing spirit is that he has a willing spirit to to live right. We have the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit as New Testament believers. We have the sustaining power of God through the Holy Spirit to keep us from sin. To restore us when we have, when we have sinned. God is there to pick us up, to forgive us of our sin. 1 John 1, nine. See, part of that restoration, we see here, says, deliver me. It says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Do not cast me away. Create in me a clean heart. Make me to hear joy and gladness. See, spiritual brokenness shows through the intense desire you have to be restored and renewed to a close relationship with God. And see, from that close relationship with God, we know from Paul in Romans 12 that it, 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 what, Romans 12, one says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We aren't to be conformed to this world. In other words, we're not to live in our sin. We're not to live like the world. And when that sin does enter in our life, we need to be broken over it. And ask God, forgive me. Restore that joy to my life that you I have in the gospel. I wonder if that's why so many Christians walk around looking depressed all the time. The reason they don't have the joy of salvation in their life is because there's sin in their life. Unconfessed sin. See, spiritual brokenness manifests through restoration by God. God will restore you if you get on your knees and and you pray and, and you have a broken heart. If you ask God, God, forgive me. My sin is ever before me. We need to look at sin like God looks at sin and admit that and agree with God about it. And then we see that spiritual brokenness manifests through submission to God, verses 13 through 19. So he, we see he's, he's praying, the, 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 the flow of this chapter. We see he's asking God, crying out to him, Lord, please cleanse me. Please wash me. Clean my life of sin. And then we see him crying for the restoration. we see the idea, desire for restoration. And then we see a submission. Look at verse 13. Then, as it, Lord, if you restore me, I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will be converted to you. You know what David's saying? God, use me. I've made this right with you. Now, Lord, you've restored the joy of my salvation, your salvation in my life. Lord, now please use me. I want to be one who who shows who you are to those around me so that others are converted. David was the highest point of their society. He was the king. Can you imagine through his mind even right now, as he's praying this, he's thinking, what all the opportunities I have missed as king to show the glory of God, to show the greatness of my God. He's saying, God, as you restore me, I will teach others your ways. David tells God that he will commit and submit his life to serving him. He wanted to teach not only by his speech, but also by his actions. David wanted to return to leading the nation of Israel as God desired him to lead. You know, we can't lead our homes if the, like God wants us to lead them, men, if there's sin in our life. Ladies, you can't be the wife, the mother, the grandmother, the sibling. Whatever adjective you want to put on you. You can't do it when there's unconfessed sin in your life like God wants you to do it. You can't be the church member that God wants you to be if there's unconfessed sin in your life. But here we see he submitted his life to the Lord, submission to God. He goes, deliver me from blood guiltiness. He's saying here, he's thinking back to what he did. He just committed murder with Uriah. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing for your righteousness. We need to sing to the rooftops about God's forgiveness in our life. We need to praise God that he is the one who forgives us of our sins, of who he is and how great he is. David goes on about singing God's praises and we need to do the same. We need to be praising God for his forgiveness over sin, for his salvation in our life, for the sanctification that he gives us on a daily basis. Aren't you glad that God has given us his spirit that indwells in us? Because without it we, could, we would be sinning. It is the Spirit of God that keeps us from sin. It's submitting to the will of the Spirit. It's it's walking in step with the Spirit. Paul, Galatians 5.16. Being controlled by the Spirit of God. And we've been using this word brokenness. You say, maybe you've been here and you're listening like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Well, if you were to look at the word up, that is used because i think the pinnacle of this chapter is found in verses 16 and 17 for you do not delight in sacrifice otherwise i would give it you are not pleased with burnt offering the sacrifices of god are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart o god you will not despise what is what's being said here it doesn't matter what kind of sacrifice. Even in the time where sacrifices were necessary, God is saying the sacrifice itself is not as important as the man or the woman having a broken and contrite heart. In fact, that is the sacrifice before God. So what is, he, what is David saying here, broken and contrite? The word broken means shattered smashed. And the word contrite comes, carries the idea of crushed. So when David is saying that God wants a broken and contrite heart, literally your will, your spirit is crushed before God because of your sin. Is that you this morning? Different people are different emotionally, but my question for you is, have you brought been brought to a point of sorrow? When was the last time that you found yourself actually tearing up and maybe just crying over the sin in your life? It's thought-provoking that you were so torn up about your failure before God and you realize you as you agreed with God about the sin in your life and you're in the process of confessing that and making it right with God you're just brought to tears your spirit was crushed Owen likes to watch these big utility-type things on videos and stuff, and one of them was the person visiting a trash compactor, a huge trash compactor, and showing how it crushes the, the stuff into little itsy-bitsy pieces. Watching a car compactor crush a car. We need to have that same heart. we need to let God break us. Some have used the illustration of a horse breaking their spirit so that it's malleable and controllable by God by the well are you controlled by God? Are you as David who was Using others to accomplish his sin. He's living hypocritically. He was blaming others. He's doing so many different things. See, God desires from every believer a repentant heart and a yielded spirit. A repentant heart and a yielded spirit. So we need to live with a heart that is broken daily. Don't wait. Don't keep wearing the same dirty spiritual clothes. Well, I'll scrub out this spot over here. I'll be okay for a while. No. Get rid of those dirty clothes. Stop wearing them. Stop wearing that, that so, having a soiled spiritual life. But rather, let the Spirit of God cleanse you. Wash you. Break you. Crush you. if we allow sin in our lives, it's just going to ruin us. Look at all the blessings that Israel missed out on potentially because of their sin. Individually, you can just imagine having to wander around for however many years. Maybe even think in your own life. Because of sin in your life, certain things have happened. See, God cares about your heart, not the actions you perform in His name or for His cause, because we can do things, so to speak, in His name. We can do things, we can serve, we can serve God, and all these different things, but God cares about our heart. Where is your heart this morning? Are you like David who ignored the commands of Scripture? Who used people to get what he wanted? Who's hard on others and easy on yourself? Consumed with what he doesn't have? Consumed with what you don't have over what you do have? Are you callous to the warning of your own sin in your life? Unconfessed sin will erode your life and cause bitterness and hardness to calcify your heart. David gave us an example of the heart needed to live righteously. And I hope we as Christians, even at the same time when we see someone else go through Psalm 51 and they've made their life right with the Lord, that it brings you excessive joy. I know when I read Psalm 51, I'm brought to tears for my own life and where I need to change. But understanding the background here is a man who did some horrible things and we see him getting right with God. You know what that tells me as a believer? It's called hope. It's called God's faithfulness in my life, his grace in my life, his mercy in my life. Do you want to be used by God this morning? and tomorrow, and the next day. Isaiah 66, 2 says, For my hand made all things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. There's the idea of brokenness before God and fearing him. What does Solomon say at the end of Ecclesiastes? Is the whole duty of man to fear God and keep his commandments. We can't keep God's commandments if we're not having a broken heart, a broken spirit. You and I need to be desiring to live with a clean heart. We need to live with a broken and contrite spirit. Dearly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, you are such a gracious God. And Lord, I I do pray that through the message this morning that we would begin to look more and more at our sin like you desire us to look at it, like you look at it. Lord, you would be doing a work in each person's heart this morning that we would live with a broken heart. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you.